Welcome to Bollywood is for Lovers, part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I'm Aaron Fraser. And I'm Matt Bose. This week, to cap off November, we're going to look at two noir-inspired films from one of Hindi cinema's most acclaimed and controversial directors, Anurag Kashyap. First up, Kashyap restages the deadly 1993 Bombay bombings in 2004's Black Friday. Then, Kashyap channels his surreal side in 2007's No Smoking. Before we begin, we would like to respectfully acknowledge that we record this podcast on Treaty 6 territory, traditional lands of First Nations and Métis people. Welcome back, lovers! We are a couple days late. But there's a good reason why. We have some very good reasons why. Uh, first of all, I... I happy just, November. Yeah, happy. It's the end of November. Getting it right in at the end, but yes, we did it. Um, first of all, I was out of town. I went to Seattle. Uh, so I've been gone for the past few days. Now, this wouldn't have been a problem if this episode wasn't continuously being sabotaged. Some might say that we had entered into a web of lies and deceit with regards to various streaming platforms. And yes. Duplicitous online merchants. Yes. So we we wanted to do, you know, another Noir Vember episode, and we had a few ideas. Uh, our first one was to do an episode on the original Itafak and the recent, uh, it's not quite a, a remake, um, but the new version of Itafak. That uh, did not go as planned. Didn't go as planned. I ordered Itafak on Amazon. It never showed up. It was supposed to show up November 9th. It is still not here. <laughs> Bastards. Uh, but that's okay. We had a backup plan. We had researched and prepared a backup plan to discuss two classic films from the 1960s that have a noir aesthetic. They were both available on Eros now. We were good to go. Both had English subtitles. Well, when we sat down... It said they had English yeah. subtitles. When we sat down to watch the second one... The subtitles are, did not work at all. We Woke on T, though. We watched... You know, some of that, and hopefully yeah. we'll talk about it on a later episode. It was pretty good. Well, and I'm still, you know, I still think that we could potentially return to that episode because I have spoken to Eros now, um, and they're looking into the issue. Eros now has excellent customer service. Excellent customer service, you might say. Yes. Oh. Uh, so then we had to research a third episode idea. Um, and Neo-noirs. Yeah, we decided to go, okay, well, we did an episode on neo-noirs. Let's just do another neo-noir, you know. Uh, last year we did, you know, some classic stuff. This year will be the, the neo-noir November. So we do some research, uh, and we find two films and we sit down to watch one of them, Johnny Godard on iTunes. And, and this has happened to us before, Matt. It's, this happened with Chak Day India, actually. It also happened when I tried to watch Jab Harry Met Sajal when you were out of town once. So I still haven't seen it. Uh, the subtitles were about a minute, like a full minute late. And this makes the film completely unwatchable. For us, yeah. For us, yeah. It's you know, if, if your your subtitles are that off, we have we can't keep track of what's seen and who's saying what, and so that didn't work. Um, in an attempt to salvage, you know, the third iteration of this episode, we uh, tried out a new streaming platform that I had heard of, Big Flicks, which is Reliance Media streaming platform. Johnny Godard is a Reliance film. It made sense, you know, that the film would potentially be available there. But you can't really tell what you're signing up for on Big Flicks' site um, unless you get past the paywall. 
it was cheap enough. It's like two bucks that I thought, okay, let's take the risk. We do not recommend it. They did have Johnny Godar, but there were no English subtitles. To be fair, there was nothing on the site that promised that there would be English subtitles. But, you know, most of the streaming services have English subtitles. And that's why we pay for Arrows now, because you get the subtitles with the premium service. At least English and Arabic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so not only was there no English subtitles, we couldn't get the film to stream on our iMac, on uh, my MacBook, on the iPad. We were eventually able to download it through the iPad app, but it had no sound. So yeah. we had and no, no subti- subtitles. No subtitles as far no as I could tell. Yeah. So we, we actually went backwards. Yeah. So we've actually contacted Big Flicks. Um, they maintain that the film works. They said it was impossible that we could be having these issues. Yeah. Impossible. Yeah. To which I said, well, it is happening. <laughs> well, and you you checked out the coding on the site and everything was broken. Yeah. Yeah, if you look at the HTML on the site, it's fucked. <sighs> so... Just for Johnny Guitar. Who knows? Maybe all the other movies work fine. But the one we specifically <laughs> ordered the service for, because we were in duress... Yeah. Did not work out. We we were planning on trying Big Flicks at some point just because we are working on a supplemental episode on all of the various ways that you can watch Bollywood films. Spoiler in the alert, West. Big Flicks sucks balls. Um, and we will not be recommending Big Flicks. Uh, and again, the you know, I we're very happy with the customer service we received from Arrows now when there have been issues. They've they've dealt with them, they've mm-hmm. gotten back to us right away. Um, I really have no complaints about Eros now, other than I wish there was more movies on it, but, you know, that that is what it is. Um, That's every streaming platform. Exactly. Yeah. Every No streaming platform has every movie that you're looking for. Um, but this I was really unimpressed with. So, as you can see, we had to regroup for, what is it? The, the this is the fourth, fourth iteration. Yeah. Oh. So, you know, we had all our ducks in a row. We thought we were going to record this before I left on my trip, and it just... It didn't happen. We were watching movies that, you know, now we're not even discussing. But, you know, we still enjoyed them and hope to discuss them in the future. Um, so here we are with a kind of quasi noir vember episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to reiterate at this point that, you know, there were solutions that we're unwilling to take. So one of the solutions for these issues would have been piracy. Um, but we feel very strongly on this show that crime does not pay. That crime does not pay exactly. That we should um, be sourcing our films legally because we do not want to promote piracy. It's um, we don't think it's a good thing for the industry. We don't think that it's a good thing for the films, for the directors, for the producers, and for us as, as film goers mm-hmm. and as, as film as film appreciators. Um, and we don't want to be promoting that at all. So. You know, this is kind of one of the cases where we really just kind of kept finding ourselves, you know, pushed back into a corner. Trapped, backs to the wall. Yeah. Nothing but darkness all around. We've had some... In fact, it was potentially the most noir adventure that we'd been on (laughs) working this podcast. Yes. We've had some good luck up until this point on this show of, of kind of being able to find films. So this was, you know, going to happen eventually. I will say, when I was in Seattle, I visited uh, one of my favorite places in the world, Scarecrow Video. Mm-hmm. This is a video rental store in Seattle that is now a nonprofit that has thousands of films and thousands of films that Probably are... Probably tens of thousands. I think it's 13,000. Yeah. 
um, many of which are out of print. Some of them you actually need a deposit to uh, rent. They got Laserdisc, they got VCR, yeah. they've got VCDs, mm-hmm. like legit VCDs. Yeah, and it's and and everything is organized down to minute categories. It's it's insane. It's one of my favorite places in the world. Um, but it was sweet torture, Matt. I mm-hmm. poured over the India section. And the number of films that we've been wanting to watch but haven't been able to get our hands on. Itifak was there. Zangir was there. Mm-hmm. Diwar. Aisha. And Johnny Godar. It was sweet torture. Um, I'm so jealous of your video store, Seattle. Um, Scarecrow Video, just one of the best places. One of the best places around. Yeah. Did you have a good week, Matt? I watched a bunch of uh, Zatoichi movies. Mm-hmm. I also watched Murder on the Orient Express and Coco. Bought a suit. Did Black Friday shopping. I was busy. Oh, wow. Weren't yeah. too lonely without me? No, no. No. It was a party. Didn't uh, didn't fall into a web of lies, a nightmare of your own making. And no more than normal. Didn't get crossed by Dangerous Dame? Uh, not that I can recall, no. Oh, okay. Uh, I had to watch uh, Olaf's Frozen Adventure, oh, which God. was fucking garbage. Um, we will not be reviewing that on this show either. No. But, uh, yeah, if you go see Coco, go 20 minutes late. Trust me. <laughs> Trust your old Uncle Matt on this one. All right. Uh, so today we're talking about uh, two early films from Anurag Kashyap. So we talked about him previously in episode 10, mm-hmm. Baldywood's Enfant Terrible. And we also talked about him in episode 23 with uh, Paul Matwichuk, where we compared his Dave D with Dave Dux. Mm-hmm. And he's a, he's a prominent director, producer, and screenwriter in Indian cinema. He's and one of our faves, right? Yeah, he's one yeah. of our favorites. And his production house, Phantom, uh, does some of the, I think, some of the best films coming out of uh Bollywood right now. So, for example, he, they produced Queen. Uta Punjab. Uta Punjab. Yeah. And Lutera. But Kashyap got a start as a screenwriter. He came on the scene in the 90s as a co-writer on Ram Gopalbarma's Satya, uh, a film that we will eventually watch. Um, and he kind of, you know, picked up um, a lot of writing work. He worked, did some writing for Deepa Mehta mm-hmm. uh, till he got to make his transition to directing. And he made his debut with um, Paunch, which means five, which is about the 1976 Joshi Abiyankar serial murders in Pune. He's got some uh, prurient interests, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Um, this film has never been released. It was denied certification um, by the Central Board of Film Certification, and so they never cleared it um, for its drug use and some violence. Eventually, in 2001, it was finally cleared with some cuts, um, but it's still never been released because the producer ran into some troubles, I'm guessing financial? I, I don't really know. That's usually what it turns out to be yeah it has played at some film festivals now how much drug use and violence is in that movie that isn't in say Uta punjab ugly gangs of wasipur did he move the needle on content i mean at the cbfc all those films also had issues with the cbfc i'm not quite sure about gangs of wasipur but ugly and Uta punjab definitely did but like they eventually got released Mm -hmm. what was in his first one that was so rough Who's to say, this is also a good, you know, kind of like 
15 years ago? Uh, longer. Longer, 16, mm-hmm. maybe 18 years ago. So, you know, I, I, I just don't know. I'd really like to see it. The times have probably changed since then, though. Yeah. It yeah. Was- and I mean, there has been some kind of um, personnel change at... And he's had lots of battles with season. them, especially over in Punjab, mm-hmm. which he was a well, producer on. Well, and... Uh, Ugly uh, didn't release for about a year because he resisted those uh, anti-smoking. Uh, <laughs> he preferred to make an entire film about not smoking. Yeah. But we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, those anti-smoking, um, what are they called? Kind of disclaimers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he made a feature-length anti-smoking disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. We'll, we'll get to that. He followed up the unreleased paunch. With Black Friday, the shocking truth behind the 93 Bombay Blast. This is kind of a, like, airport thriller title, huh? Yeah. The whole title. like not, You couldn't just call it Black Friday. Yeah. The shocking truth. <laughs> Which, I mean, it was fairly shocking. Mm-hmm. The film was finished in 2004, but it didn't come out till 2007. So his second film also runs into release issues with um, the CFBC. They refused to clear it because um, there was still a court case going on for the real-life events that the film was about. Um, I mean, that I get. That I get, because this is... I would say if I was a lawyer in this case, this is some pretty inflammatory shit that he's saying. So So kind of the night um, before like the release date, um, a court order came through um, from... The uh, those on trial to kind of stop the film from coming mm-hmm. out because they thought that then it would they would not have a um, unbiased trial or yeah if they hadn't well no they don't have juries so it wouldn't affect jury selection but it but, would affect public opinion yeah it would definitely be yeah yeah <laughs> this is a very complicated story yeah so that was upheld in court uh, and then they had to wait to release the film till after. Uh, everyone had been tried and, and found guilty. For Every, the most part, found guilty. Everyone they were able to find. Yeah. 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 Uh, why don't you tell us about the film, Matt? Sure. Well, it's about a uh, period in history that we didn't actually know too much about. No. But have since studied up on some. But for people in India, is infamous. Mm-hmm. The 1993 uh, Bombay bombings. So, Friday, March 12th, 1993. Um, in retaliation for a series of riots where uh, Hindu... Um, Zealots, maybe? Mm-hmm. Overly enthusiastic Hindu people attacked a Muslim temple in Bombay, mm-hmm. which was still called Bombay at the time. A series of explosions um, were carried out by some Muslim terrorists mm-hmm. in town. 257 people died, 713 were injured, and 100 people were found guilty out of the 129 accused. Yeah. So there is a gigantic manhunt going on across the country for the perpetrators of this crime. Yeah, uh, well, not just across the country because some of them fled to to Pakistan and and Dubai and and other places, um, and some of them are still kind of in in hiding, including Tiger Memon, who mm-hmm. is the um, the perp- the orchestra the guy who orchestrated the whole thing, or so the film would have you believe. Yeah, uh, so I read the entire Wikipedia entry on this case as well as a, a few other articles just to to get a sense of things. Um, but the Wikipedia entry includes um, everyone who was accused and arrested. And a whole list? It, the whole list Uh-oh. of everyone who was accused and arrested um, and whether or not they were found guilty or not, um, what their sentencing was. Um, it's, it's exhaustive. I read it all. You know who's in it? Who? 
Sanjay Dutt. Sanjay Dutt. Yeah. Well, he was mixed up in the crime, right? Well, yeah, because he was mixed up in the arms trafficking. Yeah. So that's a that's a fascinating Bollywood connection. Is this going to be in the biopic with uh, with uh, Rambeer? Rambeer. I I hope so. I yeah. It's I was I was kind of. I mean, obviously, I knew he had just gotten out of prison, and I knew kind of that he was there for his ties to the underworld. Uh, and for, you know, arms trafficking um, and just kind of being in possession. But I, I didn't realize that his name was going to pop up in, in conjunction with this. Um, and there's he's a, not really in the film, though. They don't no, make any no, mention of it. he's not him. in the film. Yeah. Um, but, again, I learned a lot about kind of the, the Bombay underworld and how things are split by the Muslims and, and the Hindus and how kind of this event, I think, has from what I understand, forever fractured um, aspects of the underworld. Which you would go on to see in Gangs of Wasipur as well. It's yeah. definitely gangsters of different religious faiths. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So the film features K.K. Menon, Aditya Srivastava, Pavan Malhotra, Kishore Kadam, Zakir Hussain, Intiaz Ali, Nawazin Siddiqui in an early role, mm-hmm. and uh, Vijay Maria. And it was uh, based on the book by Hussein Zaidi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, MTS Ali, the director, in a in a rare acting role. I, I haven't seen him act before. Yeah, and uh, Nwazi Siddiqui, I couldn't tell it was him early on because he's so young. Mm-hmm. And one of the most interesting visual aspects of this film is that the cops are continually bringing in suspects, witnesses, that sort of thing, into this sort of red room mm-hmm. where everything is completely blanched out. Mm-hmm. And he's the first witness that yeah. they bring in, the first collaborator, I guess, because he's involved. And, yeah, it was tough to tell who he was because he's super young and, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the plot, as you might expect, follows the Bombay bombings, but not really sequentially. No. No, um, it's not linear at all. So the first bit is the day of the explosions. And then afterwards, it kind of attaches itself to various characters as they go through what happened before and to some extent afterwards. Yeah. K.K. Menon plays the detective that's heading up the investigation, Mm -hmm. whereas um, Pavan Malhotra plays uh, Tiger Memon, who is the uh, instigator behind the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And you get to see how did they get the explosives? Where did these guys get their training? Who's funding this whole thing? Mm-hmm. And it's broken up into to chapters that kind of focus on characters, and we again we jump around in 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 the timeline. Um, it's and that's only a sampling of the cast. That, that this yeah, is a, there's hundreds of people. There's yeah, there's so many people in this movie. It's kind of uh, Tarantino-esque um, actually with the chapter titles and stuff, mm-hmm. and being out of order. Yeah, yeah, and and the film, you know, I found the film really impenetrable at first. It does not have a name tag or anything pop up for people. When no. when there's a cast of 100, it would be useful. But as it went on and I got into its rhythms, I really started to appreciate it. It's I think it, I, I think it's quite, trying to make it very confusing for you at first. Oh yeah. That's totally intentional. Yeah. Um, but I, I I think this is this is quite an accomplishment. I, and it's 2 hours and 41 minutes, so it is really long and it is Really bleak like, and dense, and ugh. the bleakness is reflected in that uh, that lighting design because mm-hmm. not only is there this red room, but often there's blanched out blue, mm-hmm. um, country reds and uh, oranges and yellows, and so visually, this definitely has a 
early days of digital cinema aesthetic to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually couldn't tell when I was watching on Netflix whether or not it was the digital technology of the time that made it look so blocky and rough mm-hmm. or if it was the often crappy Netflix transfers slash <laughs> bitrate. Because you, know, you see that all the time, especially in a lot of dance sequences. Yeah. They just kind of fall apart because those transfers aren't uh, treated as well as, say, Star Wars or something on Netflix. So it was yeah. tough for me to tell if it was intended to look this way. I think it's a bit of both, um, partly because the the titles, when it was just text on screen, it was a little kind of fuzzy on Netflix. So I kind of thought... I don't think they have the best transfer of this film available for streaming. Um, But also, I think it is supposed to... Like, I think it does have this grimy video aesthetic um, that really serves the the content well. They used a lot of handheld cameras, a lot of hidden cameras. This is oftentimes described as kind of a docudrama. It uses Um, news footage. Yeah, yeah. So I think... All of that stuff kind of comes together to, to yeah, to give it this very digital quality. Is it trying to reflect the early 90s? Maybe. Yeah. Well, I think, and I think it does. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a lot of um, the filmmaking of Michael Mann. Um, and so I, I can't say if, if I know that Mann was a direct influence on, on this, but it has the same um, kind of very stark... Um, and straightforward camera work with also kind of these um, more um, aesthetic visual flourishes. Like we were talking about the lighting. So I think of something like um, Manhunter from the 80s. It also has um, this large kind of criminal enterprise like you see in films like Heat. And Heat is a very, very noisy film. Long film too. Oh, it's so long. This becomes very noisy. And it also really reminded me of um, a lot of kind of man's um, current work, which, you know, kind of has come out um, kind of at the same time as Black Friday or after Black Friday. Um, so I'm thinking of things, you know, as recent as, as Black Hat, but obviously also collateral. Things that really embrace that um, digital quality, that digital aesthetic, and kind of... Um, uh, non-artificial lighting. I forget where I was reading this, but um, there was a theorist who was saying that every visual um, medium eventually becomes characterized mostly by its flaws. Mm-hmm. So with VHS, it's tracking and the tape getting beat up and weird coloring. Mm-hmm. Film is cigarette burns and mm-hmm. the vinegar syndrome and that sort of thing. And with digital, it is that degradation of the image into component parts that are difficult to tell. And Mm -hmm. if you want to talk about something reflecting the story that it's trying to tell really well, a bunch of Mm -hmm. essentially a mess of colors that it's tough to pick out who is who and what's going on, that works pretty well with this story. Mm -hmm. Um, But you you thought it was more kind of um, Boyle-inspired. Yeah, I felt, you know, I mentioned 20 Days Later, and there is a Boyle connection in that he said that Slumdog Millionaire was influenced by it, I would say, probably in the really long chase scene, mm-hmm. kind of through the middle of the movie, which is very cool chase scene, too. Something I don't think I've seen in Cash Yap, this kind of really energetic filmmaking of running around, mm-hmm. steady cam. I can't think of another one off the top of my head that does that. Yeah. So I think it's very clear that... Uh that it has Western influences. Like this mm-hmm. feels for a very Eastern story. Exactly. This is a vi- yeah. This 
this feels um, formally, kind of aesthetically and cinematically, um, like a Western film. I also think of, um, I forgot to mention it, Michael Mann's The Insider, Mm -hmm. um, again, has kind of these kinds of, um, these kinds of aesthetics. Uh, but it is a very Eastern story and there's very strong, there's Eastern, Eastern anger at the center of it. This um, is probably one of the most angry films I've seen in a long time because yeah. you can't help but get mad at this situation mm-hmm. where, um, it starts off with a quote and ends with a quote from Gandhi yeah. saying, an eye for an eye blinds the whole world. And yeah, you can't see a way out an of this. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Right. You can't see a way out of this quagmire. Yeah. You know, there's an atrocity done to Muslim people who in turn do a, an atrocity to Hindu people. And then it goes on and on. Yeah. This indirectly leads to the super Hindu government in charge now. Mm-hmm. And further indignities put upon Muslim people. So I don't see a way out of this. And I don't think Kashyap sees it either. There's a scene where KK Menon is talking to... Um, one of the guys they run down and said, you know, Allah was not on your side today. Allah's on my fucking side. I'm the one who found you. We caught you. We're going to find the rest of you. But, you know, these extremists, you're, mm-hmm. you're pissing off everybody. Yeah. You're not, you're not doing anyone any favors by being so pro, pro your side. Most people are in the center. They just want to be left alone. And this sort of violence does no one any favors. Yeah, it, I find it sometimes hard to to understand um, a lot of these political disagreements um, that that happen um, throughout the world, and just kind of and how violent these things become, and how how people uh, turn to to extremism and to to terrorism in the name of religion. Um, just because that's that's nothing I have ever experienced. It's nothing that I've ever grown up with um that's that's not the the life that i've, I've been in we weren't around um, for the uh the october crisis in no, uh, quebec no. which is canada's homegrown terrorist activities yeah so we don't really there, there's been a few movies about that but we don't really know so much you know on hand mm-hmm. um but this is the kind of film that, that really does make me understand um and and, and empathize with how angry these men are. Um, I'll never completely understand it. I'll never completely understand um, why anyone would want to hurt someone else, even if uh, that person hurt them. Um, just because just because that's not who I am. Um, but I, I appreciate this film for for showing me those those sides of things. Um, and I think kind of shedding light um, on on this important world event <laughs> um, and kind of the the motivations behind it um, and the major players and just kind of yeah the the bleak angry center of it all. I think when we talked about Gangs Wasapur, I said something like it was a five hour season of The Wire distilled into one movie. Yeah, and this one it's even shorter, but. I think it does kind of the impossible thing of not making you sympathize with these guys, but kind of empathizing mm-hmm. with some of their plight. Because, and correct me if I'm wrong here, so Pavan Malhotra's character, Tiger Memon, to me anyway, you find out at the end of the movie that one of his offices was bombed mm-hmm. during the riot. And looking back at it, he is not a religious zealot. 
Mm. Or he is not portrayed that way in the film. But he's using other people's anger and the religious tension to further what's basically he's mad about his property getting destroyed. He has completely like straightforward uh, reasoning that, you know, it is an eye for an eye. But he doesn't have the same anger about the religious aspect. He relies on other people's anger Mm. to use that. And he kind of ropes these kind of dopes in, gets them trained in Pakistan, right? Mm -hmm. And sends them off on a suicide mission. And kind of once they get away, he kind of lets them, you know, blow in the wind. Yeah, at least the way that he's portrayed in the film. In the film, yeah. Because obviously we don't know his motivations in real life. And he, he he's still out there. Um, he hasn't uh, had to face the consequences mm-hmm. of, of this attack. I just thought it was really interesting and nuanced that he's not, yeah, I agree. He's not a mustache-twirling villain. And if, if anything, he's more of a... He's very cold. He, he doesn't really even seem that angry a lot of the time, apart from after his building blows up. Yeah. That's the most angry you see him. He says, I'm going to burn this fucking place to the ground. Meanwhile, the rest of the time when he's actually engaged in doing that, he's just kind of having meetings and mm-hmm. having lunch a lot of the time. Yeah. And I think I think that's kind of one of the, the film's stroke of genius is just, you know, the kind of real criminals am, among us are, are kind of more bureaucrats. Than, than anything else. Just like and, the wire. It's always, yeah. <laughs> you know, what did Lester say? Um, you, know, you follow drugs, you get drugs, you got drug dealers and drug users. You follow the money, you don't know where it's going to go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, whereas kind of the the people who are radicalized um, and, and kind of end up being the ones who carry out a lot of, you know, these kinds of attacks, they're just, they're, they're con- confused, angry young men, mm-hmm. you know, and... It, it's hard not to think that, you know, under the different circumstances that any of us can end up in that kind of situation, right? Yeah. And so I, I like I like how you see um, the different sides of things. You both kind of see the investigation as well as how they carried out the attack. But you don't just spend time with kind of the, the upper level people. You also spend time with kind of some of the some of the people who, who you really do feel kind of got caught up in things, were angry, were hurt, were, you know, were radicalized. Um, and and probably did some things that they they deeply regret. And I I am not saying that um, I in any way um, think what they did is forgivable because I don't. This is not to take away from the horrors of both the bombings and the riots, which are depicted yeah. the riots, especially with news footage and like brief snippets yeah. of things happening, and then the bombings with mostly the aftermath of people. Having lost limbs, mm-hmm. died, burned up, uh, it's it does not flinch whatsoever in showing the the carnage on both sides. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I do believe that people who carry out um, horrific crimes like this should should have to face the, the consequences. And um, so, so I am I am I am happy uh, that many of them have been caught and, and are in jail. Um, but I, I appreciate a film that that tries to to show you how and why these things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, because that that that's what we ask ourselves when when a, when a terrorist attack happens. We say, why? Why is this happening? Mm-hmm. And how? How did they they manage to do this? And kind of in a very stark and bleak, um, but also cinematic way, um, Cash App ex- explores that, and I think kind of reveals something, some very interesting truths about modern terrorism. Yeah, and I think you could call this a noir. I think yeah. it's, I think at least visually, 
there are sequences that are out of film noir. Mm-hmm. And I think the really hyper-stylized color mm-hmm. is probably more reminiscent of neo-noir, which I yeah. think this is. So I think it fits in that canon of Mumbai Noir. We're going to leave it there and go to Interval. We're playing a song sample from Black Friday. This is Chase, which plays during The Chase. (laughs) Can you believe it? This month on the Edmonton Community Foundation's Well-Endowed podcast, they take a hard look at what it means to be Canadian within our borders and beyond with Omar Mualam. Connor Kerr connects us to Canada's Indigenous history with the blanket exercise. And we find out how to make Edmonton a more welcoming place with Eric Amptman and the Edmonton Mennonite Center for Newcomers. Check out the Well-Endowed podcast at thewellendowedpodcast.com. The Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB, is an initiative to bring together podcasts from our home province of Alberta. Currently, there are 21 podcasts on the network, covering a variety of topics and issues. In Assumptions, hosts Daniel Melville-Jones, a Christian, and Kyle Marshall, an atheist, are two friends trying to understand the other's worldview. Find Assumptions on iTunes. To find out more about the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, and the member podcasts, go to albertapodcastnetwork.com So that was Chase from Black Friday. Moving on. (laughs) There's my segue. How'd you like that one? Uh, Next we're going to talk about a very different film, I would say, that came out the same year. Yeah, because uh, Black Friday was delayed. Well, its release was delayed. The film was finished, but the release was delayed. Uh, and your cash up ended up having three films come out in 2007. The third one, which we did not watch for this episode, but I can't wait to, is uh, the animated family film Return of Hanuman. Mm. Uh, I have no idea what an animated family film or your cash up looks like. But I'm going to find out eventually. So we're going from a film that I would say fits squarely in the journalistic, um, Michael Mann, neo-noir, into the realm of sort of surrealism, (laughs) horror, um, Terry Gilliam, David Lynch. David Cronenberg. David Cronenberg. And Stephen King. Yeah. with, uh, With no smoking. So... No Smoking is based on a short story by Stephen King called Quitter's Inc., which I read back in high school. I haven't read for a long time, but follows a similar pattern. No. And if I remember right, Quitter's Inc., um, it's kind of a reference to the uh, the Jewish mob's um, Murder Inc., which oh, okay. was like the dial uh, hitman service, basically. And in the Stephen King novel, it is explicitly the mob, hmm. which has a service to keep you from smoking. <laughs> so the movie stars John Abraham, Ayesha Takia, Paresh Wawal, and Ranveer Shori. It was a critical box office flop, but it did pretty well at the festivals. Yeah. It was nominated for three Filmfare Awards for Art Direction, Cinematography, and Special Effects, which I totally understand. 
And uh, yeah, Kashyap said it's his favorite of his films as of 2011 when he was asked. Mm-hmm. So John Abraham plays a man called Kay <laughs> who enjoys smoking to almost an obscene extent. Yeah, it's ruining his marriage. And he does not give a fuck about yeah. anyone when he smokes. He smokes in elevators. He smokes in little old ladies' faces. He smokes in the bathroom. He blows smoke in his, <laughs> in his girlfriend's face. He's just a, no, his wife's no girlfriend. Wife. Wife. His his wife's face. He blows smoke in her face every day. He's just a real piece of shit about it. <laughs> yeah, he's a jerk. And I can't remember ever seeing a character like that before in a movie <laughs> who's just so devoted to smoking. But that was interesting. Mm-hmm. And. He runs into an old friend of his who... Played by Ranveer Shorey. Played by Ranveer Shorey, who's kind of got an interesting physical affliction going on. He's He's got earpieces, mm-hmm. um, like hearing aids, and yeah, he recommends this system where a, um, a swami type guy, basically, will get you to not smoke anymore. Mm-hmm. And he says it changed his life. And it comes to a head with his wife, Aisha, played by Aisha Takia, who says it's either the cigarettes or me, baby, and leaves him. And he chooses the cigarettes. He chooses the cigarettes. Um, but eventually he decides to go give this kind of a... Uh, uh, Shock treatment. Yeah, a, a chance. And he ends up going to this like carpet store, which then leads him through a series of alleyways and underground. And it, it just kind of becomes this... This large labyrinth, um, and it's all really kind of grimy um, and and just kind of gross. Yeah, it's unsettling. Um, exactly, it's unsettling. And then he meets um, Paresh Rawal, uh, who you know forces him to sign his life away. And then they, every time he that he lights up, something terrible happens. So they're going to hurt his mom and his brother. And his wife, they're going to take his fingers. They're going to take his hearing. Uh, if he lights up a cigarette, then he just falls deeper and deeper into kind of their trap. Um, it, this this film has a very maze-like quality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm not even entirely sure what was going on for the last half an hour. I have a theory. But I loved it. I loved it. I have a theory as to what goes on in the last half an hour. Okay. But it requires knowledge of another Stephen King property, which... Okay, so we're full-on going into the spoiler zone. Okay. Um, for those of you leaving us now, go see No Smoking. It was pretty cool. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was unlike any Hindi movie I've seen before, apart from possibly Gondu. But that was a Bengali movie, so yeah, it doesn't even count. that's not a Hindi film. But yeah, it's super weird and kind of awesome. My favorite John Abraham performance ever. Anyway... What I think the ending of the movie is, where essentially uh, John Abraham gets abducted, put into a room with a bunch of other guys, gassed, not unlike the Holocaust. Yeah, there's a lot of Holocaust imagery in this film. Um, And it's very obviously Holocaust imagery, because at one point his wife is watching a documentary about the... Yeah, just just apropos of nothing, just watching a documentary or possibly a reenactment of the Holocaust. Yeah, it's not, it's not, I'm not clear. I'm not clear if it is. I, maybe she's watching Schindler's List or something like that. But, I don't yeah. think it was Schindler's I List, but it was, it was something in that vein. Yeah. But anyway, eventually we find um, uh, that he's watching his own life mm-hmm. from outside. Mm-hmm. Now, in another Stephen King property, Dreamcatcher... Um, there is kind of a conceit that 
when this shit weasel takes mm-hmm. over your body, you're essentially stuck in an office watching life through your eyeballs. Right. That's exact. That, that's what happens here. Yeah, that I is feel like he might have yeah. seen another Stephen King move, movie and kind of worked it into his own. Well, he was also inspired by Cat's Eye. Yeah. Um, and and kind of the, some of the surreal components of Cat's Eye. So I mean, it's very clear that King is a, an a influence on on no smoking. Yeah, I I think maybe by the time we get to that part, the K that we've been watching has been kind of turned into his own love of cigarettes because he. Mm-hmm. That, that's basically the only thing we know about the guy is that he loves cigarettes mm-hmm. and that this version of himself is so beaten up and taken apart that eventually he is erased from inside of, you know, meat K, I guess you'd <laughs> mm-hmm. call him. And later on, I think it's in a post credit scene, you see him trying to sign people up for the service too. So, you yeah. know, the body is still alive, but the, the drive, the spark of life that loved smoking so much is gone. <laughs> And the film really captures how an issue like smoking um, kind of spreads through people, essentially through kind of like peer pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, because John A. Abraham is really pressured into joining this, uh, you know, this anti-smoking, this um, quit quitting your habit kind of program. To be fair, he which, does physically force other people to smoke in his presence. Yeah. So he is exactly peer pressuring people himself. Um, but that takes over his life. And then in the end, you see him being forced to kind of recruit other people. Um, and so I think... It, it's sort of like Amway. <laughs> if they cut off your fingers, exploded your car, and killed your wife. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's a multi-level marketing scheme that... The product is you being served up. Yeah. And, but I do want to be clear. I think the film is explicitly non-smoking. Do you think Cashyap smokes? <laughs> because... No, I don't. I don't because he said he said that he would even like to make a sequel to this film to like further um, <laughs> make more kind of anti-smoking uh, really? work. Really? Yeah. Do you think he used to smoke? Maybe. John Abraham used to smoke and then quit and then had to smoke a bunch for this movie. And yeah, he actually hurt his lung yeah, by smoking so much. Yeah, they took of his lungs. But like, I feel like this is the movie, this is someone who was in a deep and love affair relationship <laughs> with smoking and had to stop. Maybe his wife told him to stop. Maybe something else happened. But this is an elaborate revenge fantasy against smoking. Yeah, well, I, I think... I mean, we understand, I think, largely just because of the uh, anti-smoking um, advisories that we see in Indian films that, that, that smoking really is a, is a big deal um, and a big, a big issue, a big issue yeah. in India. And so, you know, I can kind of see, um, you know, Kashyap wanted to make a film that uh, addresses that, but also kind of, you know, I think... Uh, discusses um, addiction and and selfishness um, and, and and egotisticalness in a very um, artistic and engaging and just kind of strange way. You know, th- this movie really it really reels you in. It's very very engaging, and and I think. I think Abraham is, is is excellent in it. He's, he's so such sk- an asshole. He's so skinny. Yeah, he is really skinny. He looks like he's maybe weighing a buck ninety. Nowadays, <laughs> dude's like two fifty. Yeah. Um, but we've really- talked before though that like we think that Kashyap might be making movies that are too Hollywood. Mm. For example, Bombay Velvet is right. very much like a '30s gangster movie, and it flopped. Mm-hmm. And this one flopped too. It did, yeah. 
But, like, this one is so on the nose with references. He goes to a bar called the Bob Fosse. Yeah. And sees a elaborate um, dance routine. There's, there's parts of this movie that, just thinking back about it again, what the fuck? <laughs> Why is his wife and secretary played by the same person? Because, but she is the same person, remember? They didn't want to... See, again, I don't think the, the we're shown things linearly in this movie either. Um, she makes the comment about how uh, they didn't want to tell anyone at the office that they were together. But the secretary is still around long after his wife has left him. Well, again, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, it has... There's a cyclical nature to the to the narrative hmm. um, where it kind of opens with this dream sequence and then eventually we get to the dream sequence and then we kind of end up in... A loop, and then you kind of see how John Abraham's, you know, potential soul is is not actually connected to his body anymore. Yeah. And so you just kind of get the sense that things keep going over and over again. So the Donnie Darko-esque invisible monster, which I call the predator thing. Yeah. You haven't seen Predator, so you don't know what I'm talking about. Is that John Abraham's soul from later on in the film walking around, do you think? His or someone else's. Yeah, because you see those in the sequences where Baba is telling him, you know, when you go to his compound and a variety of weirdos are there to yeah. usher him through the no-smoking process, mm-hmm. there's a there's a little person, not unlike a David Lynch movie, mm-hmm. with a weird low voice. Yeah. I can see why this film uh, didn't catch on well with audiences and critics. Um, well, it did well with critics, right? No, it didn't do well with critics. It, no. did, it did a little bit better with critics overseas. Uh, but it was panned by Indian critics. Um, it did it did well at film festivals. Yeah. Um, which isn't that surprising because there you have an audience that is um, a bit more... They're a self-selecting audience who is interested in challenging cinema. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't go to a film festival because, you know, you want to see the latest Tom Cruise kind of blockbuster you go to a film festival because you want something challenging something interesting something different something new um and that's what no smoking is i you know i i I can't reference another bollywood film like it this is this is a very unique film does it make complete sense uh i don't know i've only seen it it the one time i have to watch it again because i was kind of operating on the apart from the dream sequence i was thinking it was happening sequentially yeah because his wife really threw me off Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but but she is the same because she does make the comment about how, um, you know, we didn't want to tell anyone about our relationship um, and that you fell in love with your secretary. And so it, it is an extremely weird movie. But you liked I, I liked it. it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think I actually liked it better than Black Friday just because I've seen journalistic interpretations of events before. I've right. never seen anything like no smoking again, apart from maybe um, the work of Q or lynch cronenberg yeah but like getting into that tier of director is not easy to do no gilliam gilliam is the one i think it reminds me of the most the only scene i didn't really like was the flashback sequence of john abraham and rambir shuri smoking pot oh when yeah. they're supposed which to is, be like little kids which and- is done in like a in like a 20s um yeah silent style yeah, and they're supposed to be little kids, and instead of like casting child actors, you just have John Abraham and Ramvier Shori playing themselves, and and it just there's something that just feels really fake and false about that sequence that didn't work for me. Yeah, I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah, the, it's the, funny. Fa- the father's like, "Oh, I'm glad you weren't gay. <laughs> <laughs> Not um, worried about smoking at all." 
I didn't get the chance. I didn't. I didn't think that they were supposed to be little kids. I thought they were supposed to be teenagers. And but they're supposed to be like the point is is they're supposed to be younger than the actors playing. Yes. Yeah. But given many, many, many other Bollywood films where a fifty-year-old is, is playing seventeen, sometimes. Hmm. I mean that that's not entirely out of the ordinary. Yeah. There's also a dance sequence in the credits with a uh, Papasha Basu. Um, which feels really out of place with the rest of the film. <laughs> yeah. And I think was just made for marketing. Yeah. And didn't market the film well. No. Well, no, no one wanted to go see it. <laughs> um, did this film convince you not to take up smoking? Uh, well, I quit smoking when I was in junior high. So, yes. <laughs> That's good. Um, I think if we want to talk some more about November, cigarette smoke is an integral part of film. Right, it is, yeah. And... Kay's quest in this movie, Kay, probably a reference to Kafka as well, mm. um, is definitely a guy stuck in a machine. Right. Which a lot of film noir is. It, it could even easily be in the same vein as like DOA. And he's not a detective, but he's just a normal guy caught in the gears of something and falling apart. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it does have a very noir storyline, probably more than Black Friday does. But the, the film style in this is much more in the surreal, the mm-hmm. um, fantastical. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. And it's a very paranoid film. Yeah. As well. I mean, for good reason. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are there are moments where you're not sure if things are actually happening or if it's all in his head. That guy um, who owns a, ci- a cigar company and is having, like, a launch for his cigars and then Kay goes. Yeah. And, like, the guy forces him to smoke a cigar and then that's, I think, the second infraction or maybe the third. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His wife disappears. I think that was the third thing that happened. Yeah. But, like, would that ever happen in real life? Just your buddy who owns a cigar factory? Mm-hmm. Why would you go to that? And this whole kind of... It has, of, like, a dream logic. Yeah, exactly. It, well, it's such a dream logic. And this whole kind of, um, this corporation that's supposed to give you what you want, but it turns you... It, instead, it puts you in your own personal hell. That seems very, like, Frankenheimer in in his film Seconds. Yeah. Uh, which is an excellent, excellent movie that I recommend to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> 70s paranoia. Yeah. A little bit of that, too. Yeah. You know, Kashyap, Kashyap is such an interesting director because he's clearly, you know, the movie that changed his life was um, De Sica's Bicycle Thieves. Um, he saw that um, and then he wanted to see everything. And that's the movie that convinced him, you know, that he wanted to be a filmmaker. Um, and it's very clear that he is extremely well watched. I would say neorealism uh, with uh, Black Friday, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's just, it's interesting to see, you know, um, him kind of move from mode to mode and kind of aesthetic to aesthetic. His new movie is a boxing movie. And Cameron Bailey, the executive director of TIFF, um, has said that he's you know never seen a filmmaker um, who's... It's so clear when you watch his films how many movies he's seen, like how mm-hmm. well-watched he is, and that this new one references every other boxing movie, every other important boxing movie, mm-hmm. um, in a really, you know, kind of eloquent way. I, would you I, say I mean, maybe, that's high yeah. praise from someone like Cameron Bailey. Who saying, runs TIFF, yeah. Yeah, who's saying that he's one of the most interesting um, filmmakers currently working because he is so well-versed in cinema. He's got a Soderbergh tendency yeah. towards... Making every movie feel like what he wants it to be. Mm-hmm. Like, this one is 70s paranoid thriller meets film noir <laughs> meets surreal 80s, 90s. Yeah. Black Friday, you know, got Michael Mann. I thought a little bit of John Woo at the beginning, too. Oh, some yeah, of the, yeah, for sure. Some of the very quick cuts and the, again, the color palette is kind of John mm-hmm. Woo. 
But like each movie is individually key to mm-hmm. a certain mode. Yeah. And Soderbergh does the same thing. And he can do high and low budgets, mm-hmm. you know, and he, and, and, you know, he's a Maverick producer. Yeah. 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 I think Cash is probably my favorite guy working in Bollywood, I would say. He, he's certainly one of them. Yeah. He's up there for me. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this somewhat noir member episode of Bollywood is for Lovers. We will be back in two weeks. And, um, Matt, another episode has been ruined. <laughs> Yeah? We were planning... That's on, an amaze, you and I. We Will we ever escape? Planning on talking about Padmavati, uh, but that's not going to happen. Wouldn't you know when a bunch of dipshits thought that it was a, perhaps a little bit disrespectful <laughs> of a thing that may not have happened? And also, they haven't seen it. They can't tell. So, in honor of Padmavati... Sorry, um, dipshits. And, you know, kind of as a good follow-up to our discussion of Black Friday, we are going to be talking about controversial films. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to say which ones yet <laughs> because I'm just terrified. Don't want to tempt the fate. That we won't be able to to get some of them even though, you know, knock on wood, fingers crossed, I've already secured all the copies of the films. Well, why don't we let the listeners send us a couple too? <laughs> we'll see if they know any that are sourceable. Yeah. Uh, I really wanted to talk about Bandit Queen, um, but it looks like we won't be able to get our hands on it in time. Uh, so that's in two weeks. In the meantime, Matt, how can people keep up with the show? Well, you can follow us on Twitter at Bollywood Pod. You can look us up on Facebook. Just look up Bollywood is for Lovers. We have a Tumblr, Bollywood is for Lovers. The show is also featured on G Radio, mm-hmm. the CKUA radio app. Um, iTunes is the big one, though. If you want to go there and leave us a five star review. That would be much appreciated. And while you're over there, please subscribe to my other show that I do with Paul Matwichuk called Trash Art in the Movies. You can also follow us personally on Twitter. I am at Aaron E. Fraser, E-R-N-E, F-R-A-S-E-R. And I'm Matt underscore B-O-W-E-S. Thank you very much for listening. And who knows what we'll talk about next week. 